Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. We're in John 17, start at verse 24. We're going through the Gospel of John. Someone told me the other day that I'm out, I, last week was Sermon 95. Who does that? The, the point, yeah. I would go faster, only I don't understand what I'm reading each week. And so I have to stop. The whole point of this, people, is so that we can actually understand the Word of God, not just sort of re- recognize it, not just read beautiful words that were sure have lovely meaning if we only really understood what he meant, but to really let it speak to us and then say, how do we live this? How do we obey this? Because the blessing of the Lord is in that obedience. So right now, we've been going through from chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. All of that is John recording what took place in one evening. He began, the Lord began in the upper room with, a, with washing feet uh, of his disciples before the Passover meal. And then they took a Passover meal, and during that, Judas left the room. And he went to report Jesus to the religious authorities at the, at the temple. They then, with their Levitical guard, would come to arrest him. I think they came first to the, that upper room. That's where Judas left him. So they would have come there. Uh, he wasn't there anymore. He left somewhere during the middle of his teaching. Said, come, let's go. And out he goes, I think, into the moonlight. Uh, every Passover is a full moon. And you're there in the, in, the, in the Middle East, and so you've got a beautiful, clear sky and a full moon, very likely. He's out teaching them, and he's been teaching us in all these chapters, these deep things. This is him pouring his heart out with his disciples. He's talking about walking in the Spirit. This isn't Church 101. This is him, this is him going right at his, his eleven who will be passing the faith on to the rest of the world. Through those eleven men, you and I have heard the gospel. Through those 11 men, we have learned everything about Christ that we've learned. He was the one who has passing. So he's pouring into them. And then as he came to the end of this teaching, he lifted his eyes and he looked straight into heaven. And he he said, Father. And he began to pray what's often called the high priestly prayer. He began to intercede. First of all, he prayed for himself. And he said to the Father, Father, you have promised me. That you, will, that you will give me authority over all flesh. You've said that I will sit at your right hand and you'll make the, the, the nations of the earth, they will, they will submit to me. I ask for that. I want you to give me that, not that I may dominate them with a rod of iron, which is what, what Psalm 2 says, but he says that I might bring them to know you, the only true God, in which there is eternal life. In other words, that, I may, may, that you will give me the very ends of the earth that I may disciple, that I may win souls during this season. Day will come when he will rule with a rod of iron, and I'm grateful for it. He's going to put an end to nonsense, put an end to rebellion, put an end to all the violence. He's going to rule, and he'll bring his peace to this earth. Hallelujah. But right now, he's, 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 he says, Father, give me those things. Then he prayed for the eleven. Don't let them be deceived. Don't let the, the, the evil one take and tempt them and, and ruin them. Watch over them. And he just 
speaks to those, uh, prays over those 11. Then he began to pray for the whole church. He says, for all of those who believe on me through their word. How many believe on Jesus Christ through the word of, one of those 11 men? Yeah, if you don't raise your hand, we've got to, I'm going to have an altar call at the end. It's all of us. He was praying for us. He literally knew a great church would form. And so he's looking into the future, seeing all the, the billions of believers, and he prayed for us. Today, we're going to look at the last three verses. He closes this prayer, and what he talks about has, has everything to do with Christmas. I will start at verse 24. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am. Would you say, be with me where I am? So that they may see my glory. Say, see my glory. Which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. Say, before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father. Would you say, righteous Father? Although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I have made your name known to them. Would you say name? And will make it known, so that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. Would you say the love with which you loved me? May be in them and I in them. It occurred to me that the reason this is such difficult material for us is both the father and the son really know their Bibles. And they are, he's literally talking one huge concept after another, and, and the father and the son to, totally get it. For, I, mean, I, I hate to even say it that way. But they're talking about the deep things of God. Every one of those phrases, everything, is just loaded. And it all has deep meaning. But if we don't understand, <laughs> we don't know the word, uh, it, 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 it really challenges. We're going to unpack it today and see what wonderful things were just said. All right, here we go. Christmas is a time of gift giving. I suspect the magi, the wise men who came from the east, may be the inspiration behind it. They brought gifts to Jesus fit for a king while he was still a very small child in Bethlehem. They gave him gold, frankincense, and myrrh because they believed he was Israel's promised Messiah who would bring God's kingdom to earth. Every Christmas season, uh, certain pastors, websites, whatever, feel it their duty to debunk Christmas. And so they tell us all the reasons why we should not be enjoying Christmas. That it, you know, it's really the, the Roman Saturnalia, and and it's just uh, uh, you know trying to dress up something that's pagan and awful. Because we all know that Jesus wasn't born on December twenty fifth. They don't know what day he was born, but they're sure it wasn't the twenty fifth of December. I honestly feel some people don't have enough to say, and so they go looking for things to sort of attack. It, it, but I, I saw a video that really heartened me. And I'm going to mention it to you. Even, even I encourage you might want to look at it. And it's called The Star of Bethlehem. And what it is, is a, it's a, a man who is a lawyer. And he began to say, well, what was this star 
that uh, the, the Bible talk about. What, what did those wise men see? Do you remember the story of the wise men? You've got three magi. They would have been uh, their, their, their religious uh, astronomers. So they watch the stars. They watch all of these things and they interpret those. But why would they come from what is very likely Persia? Why would they come all the way from Persia to Israel to worship what, what they felt was the coming of Israel's Messiah? Well, you know what they are. They're the, they're the, they're the, the descendants, as it were, spiritual descendants of, of Daniel. Remember Daniel? Daniel was there in Persia. Daniel was actually a Magi. He was the head of the Magi. So he, they have the hope of Israel in their hearts. They saw something in the sky. Well, what this man did is, is he went and, and said, I, I'd like to find out what that was. So he, he, he took a, a program that you can get from Nassau. And it's called Starry Night. And you can actually see the star formations in the sky from any position at any point in history. Because the stars are actually a clockwork. You can run time backwards and see what the sky looked like at a particular time. It is, it is absolutely mathematical prediction. So you can, just, you, can, you can just do it. So he ran the thing back and said, well, what, what were these wise men seeing? He ran it back to what was conventionally thought to be the birth uh, of Jesus, like about 4 BC. Let me explain something to you. People don't, nobody wrote down 4 BC. There wasn't a BC. Um, what they did in those times is you would, I mean, the way we find out dates is you extrapolate. So at the death of Herod, he was born, we know, before the death of Herod, and Herod was thought to have died in 4 BC. Why did they think that? Because that's what Josephus, the historian, said. So it, the, the thought was it was 4 BC because they thought that's what Josephus said, that the Herod died about 4 BC. What you find is that the date of, of Herod's birth was changed in the copies of Josephus at about 1256 or something like that AD. Some scribe made a mistake. And it, so everything before 1256 says 1 BC. Everything afterwards says 4. Let me tell you what difference that makes. I mean, what this fellow said, he said, when I looked in the sky and I was seeing what the stars were, he said, there was nothing in 4 BC. But when you come to 1 or 2 BC, he said, the, the skies open up. And so he starts out and he shows you what the sky looked like from Persia. You know, what they would have looked seen. And then as they come toward Israel, etc. And then you stand there in Jerusalem. And you can look south from Jerusalem and see the sky. And see what they would have seen as they headed toward Bethlehem. And in fact, there is a whole star arrangement. I'm not going to go through the details of it. A whole star arrangement in which you have a star with a tail as long as a kite. There actually is something that happened. Now, what's of interest to me is all of this happened on a particular date. Does anyone want to guess what that date was? It was December 25th. And when I saw that, I went, yes! I have heard so much stuff attacking December 25th. Now, the fellow who, who did this, and, and I'm, let me mention the name in case you want to see it. It's worth seeing. It's called, you can look at BethlehemStarMovie.com. Uh, it's a Rick Larson is the name of the man. Here's what 
here's what it, he, even he said. And it, he said, no one knows that Jesus was born on the 25th. And he may well have been born earlier. But something happened on the 25th of December. Those magi arrived and gave their gifts to the Lord, which may be why we, on Christmas, give gifts. It is a special time. And let's just take all of that Saturnalia stuff out of it. And let's really enjoy the Lord on December 25th. On December 25th, many of us will give gifts to one another as a way of celebrating Jesus' birthday. I'm not sure how that tradition got, uh, of giving gifts to ourselves was started, but I certainly have benefited from it over the years. This year, I've asked for some shop lights for the garage and a couple of new shirts. We'll see what happens. But our gifts to one another are nothing compared to the gift the Father gave us on that first Christmas morning. He gave us his beloved son. He gave us the only person who could rescue us from our sins and make it possible for us to become his children. You understand that? There is no other sacrifice. No human dying uh, could save you from your sins, no matter how good they were. The only thing they could do is save themselves. There is no power in it. But when you have the son of God who becomes a man, now you have the sacrifice, the only possible sacrifice for the sins of the world. The story about the angels and the stable in Bethlehem and the baby in, in a manger is a beautiful one. And I never get tired of hearing it. But the gift of Christmas began long before that and will continue long after this world has passed away. On that evening before the cross, Jesus was praying and in his prayer, he mentioned where he came from before he was born. And the gifts the Father had given him before the creation of the world. But then he prayed something so big, so wonderful, so eternal, that it's hard to put into words. He prayed that he could share his gifts with us. Let's try to understand what he meant, because until we do, we don't really understand the gift of Christmas. We don't really know who we are. Before creation, let's go through those verses. I want to take you through those three verses and show you so we understand what Jesus said. That evening, Jesus prophetically saw the goal of his father's plan of salvation. An enormous family of sons and daughters to delight the father's heart forever. So he prayed, Father, I desire that those whom you have given me, this great family of believers, may be with me where I am, so that they may behold my glory, which you have given to me because you loved me before the foundation. And the Greek word is, is katabole, casting down. The casting down, before the casting down of the cosmos, the world. The phrase, now I want to I make a real point here, because there is a whole uh, false uh, teaching in which it says Jesus didn't pre-exist. I'm not going to go into it. It is what it is. There is no question what that, that term means. The phrase foundation or casting down of the world is used so often in the New Testament that its meaning is beyond doubt. And I give you a number. You can look those up later if you like. It's all identical phrase. Katabole cosmos. Uh, 
It points to the moment of creation. So Jesus stated that he had been loved and given glory before the world, the cosmos, was created. This shows us the great sacrifice he made for our salvation did not begin at the cross. It actually began when he freely chose to leave his glorious state in heaven in order to be conceived as a human being in Mary's womb. I want to show you a picture. I've shown it once before over the years, but I love this picture. This is a pen and ink by uh, William Blake. William Blake was an Englishman. He is an artist and a poet. He lived between 1757 and 1827. And he was a profound Christian, and they call him a mystic. And what they mean by mystic is he was an early Pentecostal. They have, they have nasty names for us <laughs> all through history. If you... So anyway, um, he, he, the Lord visited him as a young boy. He saw the Lord, and the Lord would show him visions, and he would draw these. Um, this one is, do you, do you know what you're seeing? Think, look at it. What, what are you seeing? Who's, who's the person standing there with his back toward us? Yes, it is. Who is the old man with his head buried in his shoulder? Yes. What is ha what's happening? The Lord Jesus is presenting himself to the Father. See, what he says is the glory which you, I had with you before the worlds were, before the, fo the foundation of the world. And he, he, he says he, he left his glory. You have to understand, Christmas began, as it were, when the Lord Jesus said to the Father, Father, I will go. I will leave all of this. See the angels with their crowns, casting their crowns before him? Do you see the grief on the Father's heart? He's just suffering at what will happen to his son. It's both. The son is offering, and the, and the Father's heart's breaking. He buries his head in his son's shoulders. As the Lord offers himself. Who is this uh, angel with the spear at the bottom? It's Lucifer. Waiting to pierce him. Christmas began long before. There was a, a baby in a, in, a, in, a, in a feeding trough in a stable in Bethlehem. Christmas began long before that. Christmas began when the son of God. Knowing his father's heart. See, what, what, what the father has longs for, he doesn't need it, but there's something about love that does not wear out with the use. You can, if you love, if you have one child, you can love two. If you have two children, you can love three. If you have three children, you can love four. You know, it, it keeps going, doesn't it? It's like the love expands with the use. And so the more I love, the more I can. God the Father can love billions. And know every one of us, by, not only by name, you know, know the hairs on our heads, can know us and love us and invest in us as though we were only children. It isn't like because he loves you, he sort of, oh yeah, where did I put shell? He, he knows each of us. Isn't that beautiful? So his father's heart was to have a great family of sons and daughters. Not, not, not servants. He wasn't running some kind of ant farm where we you know, had little people down there. Aren't they cute? He was actually inviting us. He made us in his likeness and image.
so that we could be his sons and daughters, know him, talk to him, be with him. He could delight in us. This wasn't about him just, he didn't need servants. He's got all the angels he can use. He doesn't need us to do anything other than love him. And now, of course, participate with him in gathering in more sons and daughters. That's, that's what's going on right now. So I just want, I wanted you to see that beautiful picture because it really captures it. He existed in his glory before the worlds were. That's another phrase he says in the same prayer. Before the worlds were, he left his glory. But he says, Father, I want them, as I return into my glory, I want them to see my glory. I want them to be where I am. Say where I am again. He is bringing us into that. Does that make sense? Do you follow me? This is so much more than getting us just our sins forgiven. That's a wonderful thing. I'm, don't misunderstand me. I'm glad my sins are forgiven. But this isn't getting me out of jail. This is welcoming me into the house. I'm not simply a, 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 a liberated convict. I'm a son or a daughter. The, God has called us so high. What is the purposes are so high. And the Bible speaks of it over and over again. This is predestined from the foundations of the world. A lot of those verses you, I gave you there, it'll say that. It is predestined from the foundations of the world that, that, that God would have children in his likeness, holy, righteous, that we would be like Jesus Christ. I, I did, I'm going to just do this. Philippians 2, if you've got a Bible there. Paul describes the very journey. I just, I, we've got pictured up here. And he tells you and me to have the same attitude in us that was in Jesus. He says, verse 5, I'll, I'll, well, I'll start at, at verse 4 in Philippians 2. He says, don't look out only for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. He gets our heart and looking otherly. And he says, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who put our needs ahead of his own. So you and I are to put others' needs ahead of ours. You follow? And then he tells you what, what Jesus Christ did for us, how much he put our needs ahead of his. And he says, who existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. In other words, he didn't hang on to that glory. He didn't hang on to all the privileges of the divine son of God that he had in eternity. All the, all the angels worshiping and all that was there. He laid it down. But emptied himself. Meaning he deliberately put aside all of those privileges. And be, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. So that, that that son of God in glory ends up a baby in a feeding trough in a stable. Talk about a change of status. Talk about, I mean, this is what he did for us. And then he goes on, verse 8. But being found in appearance as a man... And he doesn't mean he isn't one, but he is saying he is a very special one. He is fully man, but he is also the, 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 the son of God. 
by becoming obedient, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. He was even willing to die. And then there's another one. He was even willing to die on the worst thing they could invent at the time to torture you and make you miserable when you died, the cross. So did Jesus put our needs ahead of his own? Did he put the desire of the Father to have children, a, a multitude of 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 redeemed humans ahead of his own. He most certainly did. And you and I are to have the same attitude in us that was in him. Verse 24, with me. Would you say with me? One of Jesus' main ministries after ascending to the Father's right hand is that he constantly intercedes on behalf of his church. I give you a number of key references there. You can look up later. As he closed this prayer, we hear him already performing that ministry. He looked far into the future and saw the moment when the great work of salvation will be complete and asked the Father that all who believed in him would be where I am. He wanted us to be with him so that we will see him in his full glory as the divine son. Now that is a, again, as I said, you have father and son conversing here and there's understandings here. If Moses had his skin glow because he just looked at the presence of God passing away, what do you think it is like at the very right hand of the Father? Right now, if we were to step into it, it'll fry us like a bug. What has to happen to us for even that prayer to be answered? What would make it possible? You and I must be resurrected. That's, it's absolutely an essential part of the entire plan. You and I must put off these old bodies and put on immortal bodies. Bodies that, are, that can go right into the very presence of the, the glory of God, this brilliant glory, which would right now destroy us. We can step into that glory and be there. Where? Not simply outside the gate somewhere, you know, at the Father's right hand. We're, you and I, are privileged to come right into the very throne room of God. It's almost unspeakable. I'm almost ashamed to say these kinds of things. But he said it. That's what he's inviting us to. Righteous Father, would you say that? Earlier in this prayer, he addressed God as Holy Father. Now he addressed him again, but with a slight change to the title he gave him. He called him Righteous Father. The word righteous is used in the Bible to indicate someone who fulfills the requirements of the covenants God made with his people. And then I list several covenants. There's a number, but the most important ones with Abraham is the Genesis passage. That's where the Lord made the sign of the covenant, circumcision. And he says, I'll be with you. Then the next one in Exodus, that, that's the, the covenant made at Sinai. The Ten Commandments and all the, the commandments that Moses has laid out. And they, 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 everyone, every one of the Israel was sprinkled with blood. That covenant was, was sealed there. And then the one I give you in Second Samuel, that is the covenant God made with David. You remember what he said? He said, after you die, after you lie down, I will raise up one of your seed. And I will sit him on a throne and I, he will rule forever. Now that's strange. A physical human son of David who can rule forever? How does that happen? That's the covenant. That's the promise. 
Now let's go back to this. A human being, this is important, follow this. A human being becomes righteous by obeying the various demands placed on them by those covenants. But God shows himself to be righteous by keeping the promises he made to us in those covenants. Did you follow? You and I are righteous because we obey. God is righteous because he keeps his promises in the covenant. And the greatest promise of all was that he would send us a savior. So by using the title righteous father, Jesus was saying that the father had and would fulfill all his promises. Though the world did not know that fact, Jesus did. And he had taught his disciples about the righteousness of God. And they, along with all who believe in him through their word, know that Jesus is that promised Savior. Would you say, righteous Father? Now say, you're a promise keeper. Say, promise keeping Father. That's what, you, that's what the word means. God is righteous because he does just what he says. When you and I doubt him, we are questioning his righteousness. Isn't that beautiful? Join to him, verse 26. Would you say join to him? Jesus reminded the father that his disciples knew the father's name. As we saw earlier, someone's name reveals their heart, their character, or their assignment. He said that he had, had revealed it. And he also said he would continue to do so in the future. And then he closed his prayer with this petition. He asked that we be given the greatest gift of all. That the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. When humans place their faith in Jesus, they become joined to him spiritually. They become one with him as a husband and wife become one. And as a result, they inherit with him all his blessings. Now, I've given you se several uh, good passages, and I'm going to ask you to read them out loud with me. You have my text there, so we'll all be reading together. Let's, this first one is from Romans chapter 8. It's verses 16 and 17. Let's, let's read it out loud, just kind of slow and clearly together. The Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, heirs also, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. So we have become what? Children of God who are? Heirs of two, of God, and fellow heirs with? So everything that is Christ's, we inherit. Did you follow this? People, when, when you move from, it's one thing to give grace to somebody who, who, you know, they're a stranger, you give them grace, that's lovely. But when someone is adopted and has become a child, when someone is, is a, is a, is, is, belongs in the house, rights are now involved. The grace isn't just a gift, it's a right. All of a sudden, you have been given, you've been made an heir with Christ of everything that is his. It is yours too. It's, it's like it, in, in this state, isn't it, aren't we a community property state, you know, with, when you get married? Everything that I own, Mary owns. We're married. We're one. It's hers, it's mine, it's ours. That's what he just said. 
That's what he just said. It, isn't this beautiful? Not just forgiveness of sins, not just kind of get you out of jail, but invite you into the house and make you a child. He's brought us into the household. Galatians 4. Let's read. When the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. He is calling men and women a son. Why? Because we are in the son. If You've seen it before, but this is it. This is the concept. If this Bible is Jesus, you have been put inside of him. You have been joined to him. You are in him. So that when the father looks at you, he sees Christ. When the, when the law looks at you, it sees Christ. When the devil looks at you, it sees Christ. You and I, are, we are bundled into Jesus. And we cry, Abba, Father, we are not a slave. We are children and heirs of God. One more. Revelation 21. Then he, let's read this. We, then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. He who overcomes will inherit these things. And I will be his God and he will be my son. That's, I, that's for the father speaking. To, do we grasp the meaning of what God's word is saying? The father loves those who are joined to his son with the same unrestrained devotion, the same delight, and the same generosity with which he loves his only begotten son. That's why Jesus was praying that, that the same love which the father had poured out on him be poured out on us. Sons and daughters. We often speak about forgiveness of sins and what a wonderful gift that is. But we are not only forgiven. Because of Jesus, we have been adopted as God's children and welcomed into his house. It's one thing to give a stranger grace, but when you adopt a person, that person suddenly has rights. And in Christ, we have become heirs of grace, not just recipients. And if we listen to what Jesus prayed that evening, we discover that he prayed for our adoption. It's as if he put his arm around us and took us with him into his reward. As he's standing there that night praying for us, it's as though the, the, our, our, our intercessor, our savior, our Lord Jesus, puts his arm around us and says, Father, I want them to come with me. I want them to be in my glory with me. I want them to be full of the same love you love me. I want, to fill, want you to fill them with it. He doesn't, he doesn't just save us. He takes us by the, and surrounds us and carries us right with him into all that's his. He asks that we share his glory and, and the love the Father has for him. He asks that what belonged to him would also belong to us. His gifts become our gifts. His access to the Father becomes our access to the Father. Joined to him, we aren't strangers in God's household anymore. And we certainly aren't beggars. We become sons and daughters. 
If we understand this truth and believe it, it will change the way we pray. Our prayers will take on a new boldness. Yes, of course, we will always seek his guidance before we ask. But once we believe, we've heard his will in a matter. We will no longer waste our time trying to assess whether or not we've been good enough to lately to deserve having our prayers answered. We will think of ourselves as joined to Jesus, as clothed with his righteousness, and we will ask in faith, confident that our Father will hear us. No believer ever needs to wonder if God is willing to guide them. No believer ever needs to wonder if God is willing to protect them. No believer ever needs to wonder if God is willing to forgive their sins. No believer ever needs to wonder if God is willing to baptize them with the Holy Spirit or fill them afresh. God loves us as he loves his own son. He hears us as he hears his own son. And he will welcome us into heaven, into the very glory in which Jesus himself stands. Why? Because Jesus, knowing the Father's desire, prayed that the love with which the Father loved him would be in us. One more verse. Verse 20. The last three words in the Greek, actually, of verse 26. The final few words of Jesus' prayer should be, should not be overlooked. They point to a great truth. He asked that he, by his spirit, would be within those who believe. He asked this by simply adding four words, and I in them. Would you say that? Such a request can only be made if he is divine. Because one of the unique qualities of divinity is omnipresence. Only God can be everywhere at the same time. Let me stop there for a second. Do you understand that? That is only God can do that. It is not a spiritual quality. It is a divine quality. The devil is not everywhere at the same time. Though to hear us talk, you'd think he was. He is actually doing his damage through a whole angelic host of fallen angels. He has his demon powers. He's, he's doing his stuff. But he's not everywhere. In fact, one of the horrors of the book of Revelation is, is there in chapter 12 when the devil himself is cast out of heaven and comes down to earth and inhabits the very body of a human being, a man, which is the Antichrist. In fact, John's whole message, John's whole message in the book of Revelation is this. He talks to seven churches that were in, 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 in uh, western Turkey today, and he says to them, you're all experiencing the spirit of Antichrist in your own way. But he says, I want to give you hope. He says, when the church at the very end of the age, which will face the real Antichrist, the one who has Lucifer fallen from heaven, inhabiting the body of a man, they, he, that, that wickedness, that force of hell, cannot overcome them. For they will, they will overcome him by the blood of the Lamb, and the word of their testimony, here's the key, for they love not their life unto death. He can kill them, but he can't take their salvation. He can't take their walk with God. He can't defeat them. In fact, he will kill them. It says, uh, you know, if it, Jesus says if, it, if God didn't interrupt it, it would, he'd wipe it all out. But he does interrupt it. And he says, he says so the, the very Antichrist itself, the very heart of evil, cannot overcome us, cannot overcome us. And so you and I in this generation take heart. 
And we say, boy, if our brothers and sisters in that final generation can stand against that, we can stand against what we're facing. And not be defeated by it, we will overcome it by the same way. How? The blood of the Lamb. Every time we're condemned, every time anything comes, every time we struggle with our own flesh, we, we turn to the blood of the Lamb. Amen? I'm clean. I'm constantly brought back to Christ through the blood of the Lamb. And by the word of my testimony, I will not deny Christ. I will not turn away from him, no matter what the pressures of the world, for I love not my life unto death. I love him more than anything. So those few closing words indicate that he will do so much more than just sit at the right Father's right hand. Though he became a human so that he could save us, he never ceased to be divine. His spirit, like the Father's, is omnipresent. That's why these final words, and I in them, mean so much. He asked to be spiritually present within each believer. Not only did he desire that we would be with him, but that he would be with us. Brothers and sisters, you are never alone. No matter how dark it is, no matter what the situation you face, he is with you. Didn't he say it? I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He's, that's not just poetry. He is there. He is with you. I, I, I shared it last night, so why not now? This is a bit personal, but since when has that bothered me? <laughs> Do you have any of these nights where you wake up and, and just it's like the weight of the world is on you? Uh, all, it's something about the middle of the night. My flesh is, it's, <laughs> my flesh is all there. My, my, my spirit's okay, I guess, but my flesh is just kind of, I wake up and I think all the things I can worry about. And they're all there. Sometimes it's very heavy, and I try to pray my way out of it. And Lord God, I'll, I'll recite scripture, and I'm calling on him. But it's, it's a weight. It's not just a light thing. I don't mean to make a game of this. It's, a, it's ugly, and it's dark. And every so often, knowing this, call me, say what you will. I, I don't have any more words to say, and I'll just put out my hand and ask him to hold it. And I'll just lie there. And hold on to him. He's with me. He has come to dwell within me. My Lord Jesus is with me. At every minute. He's with you too. You'll never face anything alone. You'll never be in a a lonely moment. The darkest moment of your life. He is there with you. Let's remember that our greatest gift. Isn't in a package or on a gift card. It's the gift of God's son. Who came not only to forgive our sins, but to put his arm around us and walk us into the very throne room of God. To share with us his inheritance. And to make it possible for him to be with us forever. Hallelujah. Would you stand with me? So do we have something to rejoice in? You know when you describe this, it's so amazing. You think, it's like you're, can this, can this be real? God has not simply forgiven my sins. But he, and I'm not even done. He's going to resurrect me and you. And he's going to call me into, into his presence. And I will be at the very right, there with the Lord into his very glory. A child that can cry out of my spirit, Abba. 
You, you understand what Abba is? It's it's your it's your that's Aramaic. Abba is father, so Abba is the just the double of that. Just like we have Papa, or 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 Daddy. Yeah, it's that kind of affectionate thing. And Paul says, you are so adopted, you are so much a child, that out of your spirit comes Abba Father, my beloved daddy. You're, that's how he feels about us, that's how we feel about him. This is what Jesus came to do. Not simply forgive our sins. Adopt us, lift us up and make us children of God. That the Father might have this great, beautiful family that he can love and adore and that we can know him and walk with him forever and ever. What a glorious gift. Lord Jesus, there's not words to say how grateful we are that you came, that you offered yourself, that you became born in a stable, that you walked among us as, as fully a man, and died the worst death we knew how, to, knew how to inflict on someone. Bearing our sins and our sorrow and our sickness. Carrying from us all the brokenness. That we might be forgiven. And that the Father's heart to us. That we would become sons and daughters. So we would become in your image. It's been predestined that we would become like you. In all ways glorious and kind and pure. And we would be with you forever in the very presence of God. What a gift. With all our hearts, we, there's, with, we just simply, our only response is to not just say thank you, but to devote ourselves to you. Not to earn anything, but to just say, Lord, how can we help others find you? How can we draw others to know the living God and enter into their destiny? Oh, Lord, we ask you, grace us and guide us in this. We give you our hearts, even as you have given us yours. We pray that in Jesus' name. If you agree with that prayer, would you say amen? Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.